Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you so much for being here today on Move Like This. And I am excited to be talking to one of my favorite people who uh, my work in the DEI space has put me in contact with a number of times. And this is Jana Etienne with Etienne Consulting. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Before we get too deep into topics, I want to learn a little bit more about you and your history and the profession, which I read recently includes stints at Touche Ross, which is now Deloitte, Grant Thornton, the National Association of Black Accountants, the AICPA, and now your own firm. So this is quite the journey. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Just a few places. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a senior in college, I got an internship at this really great place. They had really good pay. They had great hours. As it would turn out, it was Touche Ross. <laughs> I did not know at the time that it was a really big accounting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up going there out of college. It was the tax department of Touche Ross in Washington, D.C. And it was a fairly small office. I think maybe 30 or four of us at the time. They had a big audit team, a big lobbying group at Washington, D.C. Makes sense. So I didn't really know how how good I had it. I left there after about five years and I started my own accounting firm. In 97, actually, I started my accounting firm. I graduated in 89. So I guess that's more like eight years. And I was in practice for about 17 years. And it was a small firm at the high, at my largest, I had, I think, five employees. So it was never really a big firm. And then I sold it to go to the AICPA. My specialty was tax. And so at the AICPA, I was director of taxation. They had a director for tax practice, and then they had a director of advocacy. So I was not the advocacy person. Okay. So I was everything else, tax section, ethics, conference and technical support, that kind of thing. After that, I went to NABA. I was CEO at NABA for two years. And then when I left NABA, I was asked to join Grant Thornton as their director for diversity and inclusion. At the time, they didn't have a director. They had a team that was there that managed their DNI activities. But I was I went there, the goal of which was to develop a firm-wide strategy, DNI strategy. Um, and then I left and I started my own practice in the fall of 2019. And so the practice today, ATN Consulting, is a DEI consulting business versus my other one was an actual CPA firm. Okay, I get it. And uh, actually, I'm remembering when I was on your podcast and we were talking about at Grant Thornton is where you became aware of the Accounting Move Project too. So that is right. I, I that love is right. multiple paths crossing. So as someone with a good deal of time and quite a pedigree in the accounting profession and also in DNI work, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen and where do you see, I guess, the industry improving and where do you feel like it's growing stagnant? You know, it's interesting because that's a really good question. When you were when we were talking about some of the things we were going to talk about today, 
I went back and I thought, what are the things I've really noticed? And what I've noticed is definitely lining up with those those jobs that I had. So the first thing was technology. And that has changed so rapidly and continues to change rapidly. I remember thinking that if I were to start an accounting practice today, there are tools and softwares and platforms and resources that were just not available even back in what 10 years ago. When I was in practice, there weren't many options. Technology, not only is there a lot more to choose from today, but it requires a level of sophistication for CPAs that we didn't used to have. It's also changing the composition of the workforce because there's a lot of automation for some of the more routine lower level work. So now there's a lot of emphasis on new specializations and credentials, really learning tracks, more um, opportunities for consulting and advisory services. We've often talked about being advisors, but today, if you're not, you can't be successful. A lot of this then to me naturally brings us to where we are today in the work that we do in the DNI space, because we are struggling with diversity and yet we are recognizing more and more the importance of diversity for a number of reasons. One, because as the population becomes more diverse, being able to serve that client base requires that we have some representation mm-hmm. of that in our firms. But we also know that we just do a better job. Diverse organizations just perform better. So I think that the things that I've been seeing are really around technology flexibility, diversity, and how the automation that we're seeing evolve in the workplace and in business and industry is driving a lot of those changes, just from my perspective. I love the idea of technology and have seen its huge impact that it's having and agree that more diverse firms are just better at serving the communities that they're in and come to better decisions, have so many things. Are there areas where you feel like maybe accounting isn't keeping up with society at large or the technology that's available or or in any way? So mixed bag on that. I'm genuinely surprised when I hear that there's a firm that is still paper-based. I feel like our profession, one of the things we need to pay attention to is risk. And there was a fear 15 years ago that adopting certain technology would put us at risk. Today, not adopting the same technology or now new and improved technologies puts us at risk. And so that is one of the areas that I'm concerned about, that we still have people across the profession that aren't adopting these technologies. When there's any kind of a high profile case or situation or Even in smaller communities, the reputation of one can affect the reputation of all. So I just worry, I worry about that. And then the other area that I worry about is diversity. If you look at the reports and you know, you're actually in with the MOVE report, you're seeing some data sooner than I would see it. But I know a a report that I've looked at for years is the AICPA trends report. The numbers haven't meaningfully changed. There are some shifts in the demographics with respect to gender, but the overarching percentage of white versus people of color, just that those two hasn't changed a lot. 
the composition of the people of color demographic has shifted around a little bit, but we're not seeing that. And, and it's not for lack of trying. Right. There are a lot of initiatives and efforts and programs and scholarships to try to help attract students so that we have graduates who can then pursue the CPA exam. And that whole pipeline, we're still talking about a leaky pipeline and with holes in it. Mm-hmm. And how do we patch them up? I see those as two areas where we're we're struggling, but we need to figure that out if we're going to survive long-term. No, I agree. I'm very deep into looking at the data for 2023 on MOVE right now. And I am seeing, a again, I agree, a smaller shift in the number of people of color at associate senior manager-ish levels. But there's an enormous, it is, it's not just a slope, it is a cliff. Mm-hmm. Not all firms, but just overall, the, between kind of that manager level to partner, you know, director mm-hmm. partner. And it's kind of a catch-22 and the whole idea of, okay, we want to appeal to people of color and hire people of color, but yet if you don't see them at leadership levels, why would they want to make a commitment to your firm? Because they don't, they can't truly see a future for themselves. So it's, it's a challenge from both ends, but it's, it's one that is hopefully we're going to see the needle move a little bit more. And I think it's moving slower than I would like it. I know it's moving slower than I would like it to, but hopefully what we've seen shift a little bit in gender will also soon apply to people of color. I just don't know. I see it as a combination of things. So there's the recruiting challenge, Mm -hmm. which has everything to do with the diversity of the pipeline. I think the retention challenge though, I think I worry that we focus on people of color. We focus on minorities and in my practice, what I'm trying to help my clients do is not be distracted by that. And what I mean is we can't focus on the minority population and think that's going to solve the challenge or solve the problem because we are losing staff regardless of race. Yeah. When, because of the lack of diversity. So everyone is looking for diversity and inclusion, not just the people of color. So I think that we need to be thinking about this. And this is something the data tells us. Mm -hmm. This is not unique to the accounting profession, but I think we have a disproportionate problem, just like in technology, there's a woeful lack of gender diversity and racial diversity. Well, the numbers in the public accounting profession are better, but not that much better. We just don't get as much of a public bad rap for it. So we should be thinking about those numbers and to focus on recruiting is important, but I would love to see us move into the focusing on culture. Retention is the outcome of the work. Mm -hmm. It's not the other way around. We can't do things and we can, we can't have activities and widgets to drive retention. People stay where they fit. People stay where they're comfortable. People stay where they have opportunity. People stay when an organization is offering a pathway to something that aligns with their vision for themselves. Mm -hmm. I would not leave a job 
if I thought I could get to where I want to go in this role. We also have to look at the traditional way we've looked at people leaving firms is they leave and they'll take roles at organizations where those roles become influential roles in becoming clients. And so we retain relationships in clients and we might be able to develop business with new clients because of connections when they worked for the firm. So not all turnover is bad. No, that's true. So it's really about thinking through this three-dimensionally. And I worry that the conversations, we need to get more diverse talent and we need to keep them from leaving. That's an overly simplistic view. And I'm encouraged that I'm seeing firms ask these questions and they're asking the question because all the other checklist things aren't working. Yeah. So we want to take the checklist, ball it up, throw it away, and then think, how can we drive real change? There's not a lot of answer there yet, but we're starting to explore the question. Well, and I think that that kind of leads to the next thing I wanted to mention with you is that I've talked a lot to firms, and I think most people in this space have, about, you know, they're, they tend to focus on the diversity side of things before investing in creating inclusion. And I love your website talks about creating cultures of fearless inclusion. Talked a little bit about what that means, but how, what is that, how does that play out in a practical way? And what have you seen firms do that is actually moving toward that idea of fearless inclusion? So fearless inclusion is something that I define as the ability to be yourself and create space for others to do the same. And that means to me, let's go with the bring your whole self to work thing. But I don't like that phrase because that when we try to tell people you can be authentic or we want you to bring your authentic selves, what tends to follow behind that is perception of what authenticity looks like. Mm. And so then I may or may not think you're being your authentic self. And so a lot of the work that I do, it's really the skills that we need to become more self-aware more mindful, more intentional, more adaptable and responsive in a way that allows me to be and you to be where you are, how you are. And if we bump into each other, open mouth, insert foot, um, have a bad day, we can work it out. We work through it. And when we can build these cultures with that type of trust, with that type of psychological safety, we can figure the rest of it out. And people will stay when they feel safe. People will stay in an environment that that feels trusting. People will stay in an environment that is a place where I can I can be. I don't have to pretend and I don't have to be worried about saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. Yes, we're going to worry about those things, but not in a way that I'm concerned at the identity level. And now when the in the conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, we are understanding and finally digging down to the level of identity. And as we have those conversations in the accounting profession, one, we need to broaden diversity because we need to be worried about underrepresentation of marginalized and historically discriminated groups. But we also need to recognize that, as I mentioned before, diversity isn't just for the people of color. It isn't just for people with disabilities and so on, as you, you know this. And so I think from a fearless inclusion perspective, this is about creating a way for me to be fearless. And fearless inclusion means I'm creating a space 
I can't make you feel included, but I can create a space for you to be you and I'll, I'll be me. The goal is belonging. That's the outcome. So how do we achieve an outcome? Well, we have to look at all the inputs. I don't create a program to be inclusive. Inclusion are the actions I take and what's behind those actions are intention and awareness. And so that's the space that I live in. I work to help my firms and my clients understand intention, understand individual awareness and how to navigate these spaces as we work our way to psychological safety, because that takes effort. You can't just say, this is an open place and you can say whatever you want to say here. Because there are unspoken rules. There are political pressures. There are power dynamics. And there's sometimes a lack of trust. And all of us will nod and say, oh yeah, that's great. We don't necessarily believe. And so what we want to do is get to those real spaces. That's how we're going to be innovative and creative. Well, and two, I feel like it may have been a conversation with you or somebody else. The idea of trying to assimilate into a environment takes a lot of energy. Yes. And you're thinking about, oh, if I do this, will it be perceived in a negative way if I do that? And you're not able to perform at your best because you're worried about all these other things that really in the end don't matter, but they do because you feel that pressure to act a certain way, look a certain way, speak a certain way, whatever that is. There's so many reasons to work in this area in firms. And part of it is people are more productive when they feel like they belong, when they feel safe, that psychological safety you're talking about. You're not always second guessing your, you say something and you're like, oh, wait, is that going to be misinterpreted? And I think that that doesn't just apply to underrepresented groups. I think it applies to everybody. It Uh, does. I think the challenge, and this is where we get into, this is where some of these conversations can be particularly difficult. We talk about, well, I'm afraid to say something. I don't want somebody to take it the wrong way. Well, other people not minorities, might say, well, I have the same concern. That is true. I acknowledge that you have the same concern. What I have is another layer to my concern. Mm -hmm. I have that same concern. And I'm also worried about that through the filter of stereotyping. Mm -hmm. And stereotyping through the lens of a society that that has these historic legacy, many will say ongoing issues with race. And that is the ginormous elephant in the room. So yes, there are commonalities we share in the need for psychological safety, but there's a disproportionate burden on those who are in the minority because there are other layers of bias. There are other layers of stereotype threat. There are other layers of identity, like where you have to hide and cover up and assimilate, which means I have to do things to make you feel comfortable with me. Right so that you feel safe because when you feel safe i can be safe and that energy you're talking about that's called the emotional tax and at some point you it's too high and i leave it's unsustainable yeah you can't function at that level of worry very well or on a consistent basis it takes such a toll on you emotionally i mean in some cases physically whatever that might be And And emotional can lead to physical. We've learned a lot of that through COVID. COVID was horrific. We also learned some amazing things about ourselves in terms of resilience and honesty 
and transparency. Mm-hmm. And I'm hopeful that those lessons continue, like the conversations around race, the conversations around LGBTQ plus identity, mental health and the importance of it in the workplace, why flexibility might actually help boost performance. And just because you can't see employees doesn't mean they're not working hard. Yes. I think that some of those lessons I hope will stick with us. And all of those will help us in the context of diversity and inclusion. No, I agree. And that's that's something that we dig into quite a bit is just the hybrid work environment or the remote work environment. And there are firms out there that are like, if you're if I can't see you, I don't think you're working. Yeah. And what's happening or what we're seeing in the, uh, there's a talent shortage that we've talked about a lot. It's those firms that offer more flexibility and opportunity for people to, I don't know, take off an hour at the middle of the afternoon to go get their kids and then maybe work an extra hour later in the day or very early in the morning or whatever that is that are really appealing to a lot of the new hires or even people that are maybe mid-career. A lot of these firms that are requiring people to go back into the office full-time or even, you know, three, four days a week are losing their employees from what we're seeing to firms with a lot more flexibility that may be located on the other side of the country, but they don't care. You know, they're like, they do care about their employees, but they're like, okay, if you can get the job done, you have the skills we need, Mm -hmm. then we're good. And that's part of what we're seeing in the shift of you know, where people are going and how people are doing their work. And I can't tell you how many firms I talked to prior to the pandemic. It's like, we could never have a remote or a hybrid atmosphere. And everybody figured it out one way or the other. And a lot of them very well and very quickly and were delivering what clients needed, which was even more than what they needed before the pandemic. So I I agree with you. I think that flexibility side of things, and of course, that's one of the things we look at pretty deeply at MOVE, but I think that is going to, in some ways, be the difference in firms that really thrive and those that kind of survive, but don't grow at the pace that others are. You know, for those listening, um, one of the things that I encourage you to think about is when you think about culture and a lot of those firms, when they're saying, we want you to come back into the office, it's because they're trying to get back to culture that they had. I was on a conversation with a client very recently and they said, well, how do we get back to, we want to get that culture back. And I, I thought that culture, the word that was very telling because what we need to do is understand what culture looks like for us today. And how do we nurture that? How do we celebrate that? How do we lean into that? Because we can't recreate the past. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do, unfortunately, what I'm hearing in terms of the words when leaders that I'm meeting with are trying to describe what they want, it's almost as if they're trying to recreate the thing they grew up in. And rather than creating the space that their employees want to be in, that top-down approach is gone. Oh, yeah. And another thing that's encouraging, because this can't all be bleak, right? Another thing that's encouraging is as we start to see moving into management and leadership, some of our millennial population, they're bringing with them that perspective. 
and understanding, because there is a fundamental different perspective around diversity and inclusion from the boomers and the Gen Xers to the millennials and the Gen Zers. And, you know, not we don't fall into these specific buckets. It's a spectrum like everything else. But if you just look at those different generations in terms of overarching perspectives and beliefs, when you ask a millennial, they're not going to define diversity as race and like these buckets. Diversity lives within them. It's that intersectional identity. And so diversity is really about understanding and appreciating and inviting that intersectional identity so that I don't have to show up as that one thing and hide everything else. And so understanding that is a fundamentally different approach than understanding how to provide benefits for the LGBTQ plus community. So we can say we are, we're including them because while that is an admit, that is a task that should be done because equity, well, I would hope so. Yeah. You know, equity is the, what's the right thing to do and are we doing it the right way? And have we, been favoring groups without realizing it because if we have let's fix it Mm -hmm. that's it equity isn't about preferences this is about leveling the playing field and doing all the right things the way we should have always been doing so inclusion and diversity are really the emphasis diversity is seeing it inclusion is inviting it and belonging is the outcome of all that yeah i like the dance analogy that's made a lot of times it's like you know the diversity is being invited to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance yeah i just posted a cartoon that i made up that goes at the bottom and it says, and belonging is dancing like nobody's watching. Ah, I love that. Yeah. And I got these silhouettes of people dancing in different ways. I have a ballet dancer, a tap dancer, a hip hop dancer. I don't know. They were there. <laughs> um, and I've seen that before. I can't take credit for that. I've just put it all together. That sounds so. like a fun party right there to me. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice do you have for firms that want to make changes that they need to expand their talent pipeline, attract women and a more diverse workforce in today's environment? Well, what are the skills and competencies you're looking for? Not necessarily just the people. And then how do you, where do you go to look for that talent? Because if you keep going to the same place and now trying to get more diverse candidates, shockingly, you're not going to see a different result. Where are there different places you can be looking for talent? That means you might have to redefine what the right fit looks like and where somebody needs to be. People are hiring, even small firms are hiring staff across the country. And the world. And the world. Yeah. There are a lot of firms that actually have global employees and they're not the big four. Mm -hmm. They're not even the big, the top, you know, 100 firms. So where do you go to find talent? How do you identify and evaluate and assess talent Bias is normal. It's going to be there. So let's not pretend that we can eradicate it. What we want to think about in our recruiting process is how do we minimize the risk of subjectivity influencing decisions because we have a natural tendency to gravitate toward the status quo? Not a bad thing. Status quo isn't bad until it inhibits you from making meaningful and important changes. You know, we were talking about earlier, like adapting the new technology. There's a tipping point. And when you get to that tipping point, you have to be ready to make change. And so we want to try to eradicate or minimize the impact of subjectivity and defining what the talent looks like. It's almost like we're asking, can you multiply and divide? Yes or no. But we're not asking, how do you, how well do you analyze the numbers? And so let's look at 
analytical ability, regardless of how you do the work. If we can do a better job of that, I think that we might just start to see some success. As we talk about neurodiversity, one of the things we're understanding is that all of the different ways people show up, there are some particular dimensions of neurodiversity that we might see disproportionately higher in the accounting profession and dimensions of or types of neurodiversity that could serve us very well, someone on the autism spectrum, for example. And can we think about ways that when we recruit differently, we create space for them? I think when we can open up our thinking about how we define what we need and we focus on outcomes, I think if we really get intentional about where we go to find talent and it can't be the same places we've always gone, you can go to a community college and find talent. If you're committed, I can help you get that degree. With support, I can help motivate you to pursue the CPA exam. So I can't be limited in where I find this talent. And so that's what I think we can do. And the talent pool will become more diverse because the human population in the United States is becoming more diverse. So the question isn't whether the diversity is out there. The question is if you can attract it into your firm. And if you can attract it into your firm, can you retain Retain it? as well. Right. I had a conversation with somebody recently about just what you're talking about there with community colleges and such. You don't need a CPA to do most of the work that an associate does at a CPA. But to be fair, you do need a leadership pipeline where people will pursue and become CPAs. So, but not everybody needs to do that. And then the old mindset is it's up or out. Either everybody's a CPA and is going to move up to partnership or they're not. And not everybody wants to be a partner. Not everybody wants to be a CPA. Mm -hmm. Just another type of diversity we need to be thinking about in a firm. Yeah. And one of the things we're studying right now is there's a huge drop off in women that Mm -hmm. partnership. And a lot of it is in what is required or how the partnership role is structured and making some shifts there, offering a scaled partnership model or determining what kind of roles and not making everybody have the exact same percentage of work and do the exact same job. Let's build on the strengths of people to create a firm that has leadership that are different, you know, and can really be an aspirational group that others can look at and say, wow, I never thought I could be a partner, but I see Mary Mm -hmm. over here and wow, she's doing a great job. She's just not doing it in the exact same way as everybody else is. So it's exactly what you said at the beginning of this. That's representation. Mm -hmm. If, if, if I can see somebody in leadership, that's like me and the like me can be any number of ways. Yeah. Then there's opportunity for me too. Because Mary, in your example, might inspire somebody who is male and gay. Sure. Bob, who is male and gay, might inspire somebody who has a disability and is a person of color. It isn't like for like. Right. And I think that when we better understand this, I think we will be more successful. And I want to say that's one of the fundamental challenges around DNI, because we are highly analytical and we really love checklists. And 
They're critically important for some things, but this work is not linear and it is not cause and effect. And so there are a number of factors that come together and there's a synergy that happens and a connectiveness that happens. And that's when we start to spark change. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to cultivate a place where that connectivity happens. Right. You can't force it, but you can try to create an environment where it's likely to happen. Yeah. That's what we're looking at. And and me seeing a woman who's successful and and didn't follow the traditional path and her partnership structure isn't the same. I didn't even know we could do that. Wow. I can do that too. Mm-hmm. Huge. Because you can say all you want. We're committed to diversity and inclusion. We create opportunities for women in different roles. You can say it all day. When you demonstrate it, now you got my attention and you're getting my trust. Right. I love it. And I could talk to you all day, but I am going to close with a couple of just fun questions. So when you were five years old or in that age range, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I told my mom, I want to say it was in sixth grade that I wanted to be an attorney. And her response was, oh, that's perfect for you because you like to argue. (laughs) And I didn't even know what that meant. I don't even know why, but I said I wanted to be an attorney. And that never really changed. Actually, when I went to college, I thought I was going to go to law school. Didn't, obviously, ended up becoming a CPA. But it's close, right? Yeah. And CPA, I specialized in tax, tax law, law, law school, tax, CPA. Makes sense. Yeah, I think. <laughs> so if you were given the chance to travel anywhere, budget is not an issue, time off is not an issue, where would you go and why? All right. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking all the places I ever wanted to travel, Australia, the Netherlands, Ireland, like these places that I've heard were beautiful, Alaska. But then I thought, let's get real. Where do I want to go right now? I want to go to the to London, specifically to see the Emirates Stadium, which is the home of the Arsenal Football Club. My family, my son and my husband, my younger son doesn't care. So my older son, my husband and I are literally thinking we need to create, it's a pilgrimage. So we need this, unlimited budget deal that you're talking about so we can go when you know how where i can find that you let me know because that is the dream that's fun now my husband and i are talking about in november taking we're going to europe somewhere and london is on the list ireland is on the list as potential so we'll, we'll see where we go but yeah i i would like to figure out that whole no budget is no issue thing for myself as well yeah well you you send me that memo when you get it i will I so will appreciate it so. And finally, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I don't know that I have an answer for that. I I thought long and hard about this question many times, and I've never come up with a good answer. That's fair. I want to fly? No. I don't want to go up in the air. Invisibility? No. I probably wouldn't be good at that. Strength? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe there's a superpower. I'm thinking about it along the two, like the typical ways. I know that people have some creative superpowers, but hey, maybe that's it. I'd be way more creative and artistic. That'll be just fine. Yeah. Maybe maybe I could draw. Yeah, no, I can't do that. <laughs> that would require a lot for me, unfortunately. And I even went to art school for a short while and realized this is not where I need to be. <laughs> um, 
Well, thank you. It is always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today. And hopefully we can repeat this sometime soon. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and SAPRO. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Russick, and until next time, keep moving forward.